I'm excited because because uh, we're man just a few weeks away from finishing the book of Revelation. That's uh, that's amazing uh, to think that just in the short time we've been here, we've gone already through see like four or five books of the Bible, and, and God willing, we're going to continue to go throughout the whole Bible. And, and I'm, I'm I'm blessed to just be on this journey with you guys. That's what it is. I'm on the same journey as you guys. You know, we're both learning together, and so finishing up, uh, starting into into the book of Revelation chapter 18. We see that now we're towards the end of the tribulation period. And last week we studied there in chapter 17 how, how, how God judged, you know, what, what the Bible calls us, that the great harlot Babylon, which is both uh, this false religious system of the last days and also this, this false just a, a, a commerce system of the last days. Uh, the, this, this system in which, you know, the, the, the kings of the last days, you know, the tribulation period trusted in, right? And so we see that, that God is going to bring it to a fall. And so it starts off right there in chapter 18. Uh, chapter 17 covered the, the spiritual fall of, of Babylon. And chapter 18 uh, covers the, the economic fall of this Babylon. And so it says in chapter 18, it says, After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen, is fallen. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk in the wine of the wrath of the, her fornication, and the kings of the earth have, have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. And the cup in which uh, she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, am no widow, am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. And so we see that, that again, in talking about the, this great Babylon, right? Uh, we see that, that, that the Bible refers to uh, the false religious system of the, uh, of the Antichrist, of the beast, as this Babylon. And we see that, that uh, the Bible speaks of, of this one world religious system that, that's going to be implemented in the last days. And we're told that, that, that all the nations of the earth are going to follow this one world religious system. And that this one world religious system is going to be used to promote the Antichrist. And so the Antichrist is going to use this one world religious system to kind of gain the, 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 the people, right? He's going to gain, the, he's going to gain the, 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 the people's confidence, the people's trust. He's going to woo them to himself. And then once the Antichrist, the beast, rises into power, he's going to do away, well, do away with this Babylon, with this great religious system. But in the process of this great religious system uh, coming into power and influence, it's going to grow great in wealth as well, right? There's one religion that, 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 that we know of, you know, that, that, uh, that, that's, that for the most part is really uh, wealthy, right? Because so many people serve it. Now, just imagine in the last days when there's only one religion in the whole world that everyone commits to. You can just imagine how much wealth is going to be generated. And everyone's going to be giving their money, their possession, their time to this one religion, right? And that's going to be this religion of, of the Antichrist, the, the, what, what the Bible calls, us, calls uh, this, this Babylon, the great. And so we see that. Again, chapter 18 covered its spiritual fall. And chapter 18 now is covering, as we've seen, uh, now its economic fall. Right? And it just as the Antichrist said, Alright man, I don't need this, this religious system anymore. Why? Because I'm in power now. I have all the authority. So, boom, away with Babylon. Uh, no longer does it have that, that, that religious, uh, that spiritual stronghold on people. Uh, and, and, and a dependence on the Antichrist. But now, and now he's just doing away with it. And so we see that, that now God is going to bring judgment on this false religious system for all the trouble that it caused to the believers in the last days. We're told that, that because of this one world religion, that, that many of those who rejected the mark of the beast, who rejected uh, the Antichrist, were put to death. Right? They were, they were uh, beheaded uh, for, for, for rejecting the mark of the beast, for rejecting the Antichrist. Right? And so it was because of this false religion that so many believers, I mean thousands and thousands of believers in the last days you know, that, come, that come to them during the tribulation period are going to be put to death uh, uh, very violently. And so God is going to say, you know what, I'm going to judge this religious system now for its violence on the believers. A couple of chapters ago, like around chapter 6, uh, when, the, when the plague started on the earth, we're told that, that those who were left on the earth and then, he, and then later on came to the Lord after seeing God's judgment, 
you know, as they were tormented on the earth uh, as, a, as a result of the power of the Antichrist, they were crying out, they were saying, Lord, when? When are you, are you going to avenge us? Lord, when are you going to avenge our death? When are you going to bring judgment on, on the people who do this to us? Now we're seeing that finally judgment is going to come. And important to note that just because God's judgment delays doesn't mean it's not going to come. Right? We see lawlessness in the world. We see corruption in the world. We see all these things going on in the world and we think, man, they're getting away with it. Right? They're going on and no one's you know, doing anything to them. No one's prosecuting. No one's doing this. No one's doing that. But just because judgment doesn't come or just because it, it delays doesn't mean it's not going to come. Right? And so in our lives as well, I mean, people, even within the church, we think we go out there and do whatever we want, live in sin, live you know, in, in, our, in our private lives, uh, being uh, two different people. And we think, oh, look, I'm fooling everyone. I'm fooling the pastor. I'm fooling the church. I'm fooling my brothers, my sisters. But we can't fool the Lord. And eventually he's going to catch up to us. Why? Because there's a God in heaven who sees all things. And so God says, uh, he says, therefore, her plagues will come in one day. For seven years, this false religious system has been in power, uh, taking advantage of the believers, killing believers, doing all the things to, to, to the church that God left behind, to God's people, for seven years. But notice, in one day, it's going to come to an end. And it says there in verse 9, it says, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep. They're going to lament for her. For they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, for... That great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. In one day all these plagues came, but in one hour the judgment came. For seven years it was going on thinking it, you know, they, they could do whatever they want, unhindered. God's out of the picture, but notice that judgment came in one hour. Man, so fast, right? Life's, the, the Bible tells us that the life is like a vapor. You know, that it's here for one moment. It's like in the morning you get up early and uh, you see that fog, that misty dew on the grass. This is the next thing you know, it's gone. Right? And we see that just like that, you know, judgment comes upon, upon the wicked, where you think they're getting away with everything, right? We see them all the time. But God says that just like that in a moment, right? They may be living in, law, in lawlessness for X amount of time, but judgment comes in a moment, unexpectedly. And so it goes on to say, uh, there in verse 11, it says, And the merchants of the earth will weep, and they're, they're going to mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore, merchandise in gold and silver, precious stones, pearls, Fine linen, purple, silk, car scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, friggin' oil, frankincense, wine, oil, flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. And so we're seeing really the, the fall of the, of, the, of the economic power of Babylon. Right, it fell spiritually already, and now it's falling uh, economically until it's completely done away with. And so, notice that 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 the Bible here is giving us every single aspect in which Babylon is going to fall, and says, and everything that they trusted in, right, in the spices and their and their and their livestock and all these things. But interesting that it says in the last verse, it says, and the bodies and the souls of men. Keep in mind that, that, that we're talking about a future uh, religious system, you know, this future uh, force, you know, uh, on, uh, in the world, this future force that's going to reign during the, the, the period of the, of the Antichrist during the tribulation period. And notice that, notice that it says that it was making profit out of the bodies and the souls of men. I've, it's, my, it's my opinion you know, that, that, that it's uh, speaking here of human trafficking. You know, little do, do people know that the human tra trafficking is one of the largest, you know, generators of, of income right now in the, in the underground world. All these people that are, that, are, that, are, that are being, you know, that are crossing the border right now by the hundreds every single day. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen the videos, you know, but there's a lot of videos of single men with children who are knocked out, right? I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of single men, grown men with children, and they're all knocked out. And it's like, man, you trip out, and they, and, and they confront them, and they ask them, hey, where's the moms? You know, where's all the women? Where's, 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 where's the moms of these kids? And all the response you get is, oh, they left behind, or they left me, or we're divorced, or whatever. It's like, man, something's going on, right? We, we see just these dozens of, 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 of men coming through with, uh, with children. You know, and it's like, man, we know that there's a huge you know, human trafficking uh, uh, business going on. But unfortunately, you know, like kids are getting trafficked all around the world. Not just, not just kids, you know, but, 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 but people as well. And, and so interesting that, that, that it says here that, that one of the, one of the, 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 the economic you know, incomes of of, of this great Babylon, of this world religious system of the last days is going to be the selling of bodies and of the souls of men. It's crazy. Crazy. And so it goes on to say, 
there in verse 14 says the fruit that, that your soul longed for has gone from you and all the, all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. It says, For no one, it says, For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Even shipmasters, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance. Man, but notice it says, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Again, speaking of, of, the, of the economic, you know, a, a wealth, of the economic, just the richness of this world religious system. It, it, in those seven years, it had grown, right? It had became rich and it had empowered the Antichrist. But as God judged it, in one, in just in an hour, in an hour, it was all gone. Right? And really, that's, that's the deceitfulness a riches that the Bible talks about. I was talking to a brother yesterday at the beach, man. I barely met him yesterday, and we just started in the morning, just had a good conversation. And uh, he went on to tell me that he had just got out. You know, he did a couple years in, in prison. He had just got out. He says, he says, man, I was successful. He says, I had a huge house over there in, 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 in Corona. He says, I had a, a wife, you know, who, you know, who had kids. You know, I, I married her. I had my kids. I had my huge house. I had my own business. But he said, every single weekend, I was blowing like 10 grand at the casinos over there in Morongo. And then eventually I was in debt. He says, and I had to do you know, illegal things to, to pay for my debts. I ended up in prison. He says, now I'm left with nothing. He was telling me how, how he was, uh, he had just got out of the Dream Center. You know, he was serving at the Dream Center for two years. And he says, and now he says, I'm living off the government. He says, uh, he says I'm depending on the government. I can't find any work because of my background. He says, they give me a, a little apartment and, and, a, and food stamp card. He says, but you know what, man? I'm content. He says, I'm the most content as I've ever been. He says, I'm more content now than when I had my big house and, and all the toys in the front yard and, and, and blowing all that money every weekend. You know? And he says, I'm more content now boy, because I have peace. He says, I have, I have fellowship. He says, I have you guys. I have the church. He says, I'm at peace with God. I know that hey, my conscience is clear. I'm just serving God. I'm loving the Lord. And, and I'm excited for what he has for me. He says, I don't care about those things anymore. And we were just talking about the deceitfulness of riches. You know, just chasing the wind. Where it's like, you're never going to have enough. You're never going to have enough. Right? And it's like, he's like, he's like, like, that's where I was at, man. He says, but now he says, I have nothing. He says, the world looks at me and says, I have nothing. Right? He says, my ex-wife laughs at me, right? He says, but now he says, he says, she doesn't know that. I'm the richest man in the world. <laughs> and really, again, the Bible talks about that deceitfulness of riches. And so it goes on to say, there's again in verse 17, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Man, isn't that so true? Right? When we trust in our riches, when we trust in our material possessions, when we trust in our titles and our job positions and all these things, it means nothing to the Lord, right? The Lord doesn't call me pastor angel or electrician angel or this, that, whatever. Uh, the Lord just calls me servant, my child. And for all of us as well, the Lord doesn't see us as, hey, ministry leader this, worship leader that, hey, uh, church leader this. No, He just sees us, my son, my daughter, right? He doesn't look at our, uh, our, our, our bank statements. He doesn't look at our job positions. To Him, it means nothing, right? He says, for in one hour, such great riches, they came to nothing. In verse 19, they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her, by her wealth. He says, for in one hour she is made desolate. And he goes on to say, verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. God is just. God is righteous. Again, just because judgment delays doesn't mean judgment is not going to come. And, and for the people here in the tribulation period, and for us as well, you know, because we get to rejoice in this as well. These people who are being tormented by the Antichrist, by his false religious system, by his, uh, his, his, his tyrant rule, right, against Christianity. And man, finally, God has avenged them. In verse 21, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence and great, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. Notice it says, For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery and all the, na all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. And so as we're getting to now in the Bible and in the, in the study of the book of Revelation, as we're getting now to the end of the tribulation period, we're seeing now God do away with 
these great satanic powers. The, the false religion of Babylon, right, was reigning through all this time. Boom, God has now brought her down to nothing, to complete desolation. Next, we're, we're going to see how, how God is going to bring now the false prophet and the beast, which is known as the Antichrist, to nothing. In the next chapters, we're going to see God eventually bring Satan, uh, who's been, man, the, the accuser of the brethren for so many years since, since, since the fall. He's going to bring him down to nothing. And so we, we, we get to a, this, this turning point in the book of Revelation where now we're going to see, hey man, God's justice reigning. And it goes on to say now in chapter 19, it says, it says, After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord, our God, for a true, for true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with a fornication. And he has avenged her on the blood of his servants and the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Is there a word that, st that stood out to you guys right there? Hallelujah, right? What's going on again? This turning point now in the book of Revelation, this turning point now in, 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 in prophecy in the, in, the, in the future events, right? That are going to happen in the, in the tribulation period. For the most part, as we've been reading since chapter 6, right? As judgment has been coming upon the earth, it's been torment, it's been despair, it's been judgment, it's been, uh, you know, all these other things. But now all of a sudden, we're seeing this, uh, what I want to call the, the, the Hallelujah chorus in heaven, right? And in the tribulation period. And so in chapter 19, we're going to see the hallelujah, the hallelujah chorus. And then we're going to see the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we're going to see a little bit of the second coming of Jesus. And so we see the hallelujah chorus, you know, it just fills all of heaven, right? With, with the greatest worship that we've seen yet. We've seen worship throughout the, throughout the book of Revelation. We've seen the multitudes, right? We've seen the, the, the four living creatures. We've seen the elders worship God. We've seen John see these glimpses of, of worship in heaven. But now we're going to see it like never before. The most spectacular uh, 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 chorus is going to fill heaven with just hallelujahs, hallelujahs, hallelujahs unto the Lord. Interesting that um, it's just taken from, from, uh, from a commentary. It says, it says, the angelic chorus opens with the important word hallelujah. Right? In our English, it's hallelujah. It's an, it's an exclamation of praise to God. If you ever wonder what hallelujah means, it's an exclamation of praise unto God. Uh, interesting that the Greek word Alleluia is actually a transliteration from the Hebrew phrase that's uh, comprised of two words. Halal, which means to praise, and Yah, which means God. So Halal, Yah, Hallelujah. So Hallelujah is a, is a, it's a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew. Halal, Yah, Hallelujah. And interesting that it appears only in this chapter in the New Testament. The only, and the only place in the New Testament where the word Hallelujah Pops up is right here in this chapter in the New Testament. It's popped up in uh, in the Old Testament. The Hebrew phrase first appears there in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 104, 35, it says, Let sinners be consumed from the earth and, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And so when it says right there in Psalm 104, 35, Praise the Lord. It says, Halal, Yah, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So that's the first occurrence of it in the Old Testament. And this is the first occurrence of it in the New Testament here in, in Revelation chapter 19. Hallelujah. Right? Interesting that um, that that it's that that heaven rejoices specifically, you know, because of the salvation that God has brought. That's amazing. You know, and interesting that in the first the first time it pops up in the Old Testament, hallelujah, you know, it, it's it's referring to is it's, it's praising God because of the judgment of God and the wicked. And the first time that it appears in the New Testament, it's praising God for His judgment upon the wicked. That's amazing. First appearance in the Old Testament, praise God for His judgment on the wicked, for His justice. First time in the New Testament, praise God for His justice on the wicked. Very interesting. And so, and we see now, you know, that just this, uh, this validation, you know, of God's judgment from heaven, right? It's like, as God is judging now the earth, and as God is judging, you know, the wicked on the earth, it's like, you know, all heaven is just rejoicing now. Notice what it says there again in verse 2 of chapter 19. It says, for true and righteous are his judgments. 
We could spend a whole hour just talking about that, how true and righteous are God's judgments. Right? True and righteous are His judgments. Now, Satan would love to challenge God's character. And it says here, true and righteous are God's judgments. And Satan would love to, to challenge that statement. Satan would love to challenge that, 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 that character of God. Right? He would love to get you to question, why did God do that? Or why did God allow that? You know, and then someone might start thinking, well, if I were God, I would have done things differently. If I were God, I wouldn't have allowed this. I wouldn't have allowed that. I would have allowed this and I would have allowed that. I would have done things differently. And, and, and Satan's tactic, Satan's goal is to get you to question God's true and righteous judgments. And all things. Man, God, if God is so good, if He's so right, if He's so true, if He's so righteous, why would He allow this to happen? Satan will love you to, 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 to love to get you to question God's righteous judgment you know and, and for really we read of, of, of how God judged uh, the great religious harlot right who one it says corrupted the earth with false religions you know and, and says and create and and uh, engaged in the spiritual fornication but it says for true and righteous are his judgment because he has judged the great harlot right and so we see that uh, that the corrupt version of this of this you know this this religion this false religion you know, is, is that it was this religion based on a, on human accomplishment. It's not, not a religion based on, on, on God's grace, like we know. Right? This, this false religion of the Antichrist, this false religion of the tribulation period was one that was based on man's accomplishment. Right? It was all about getting into power, this, this, the Antichrist. Right? The guy who was everyone's guy, who all nations bowed down to all nations. This guy was going to bring in a peace treaty. He was going to bring in you know, peace on the earth for, for a certain amount of time, a certain amount of years. Right? It, was, it was all about... You know, <laughs> About raising raising up this man, but we see that salvation comes by, you know, by Christ alone, right? This this love relationship with God based on only grace, only grace, you know. And it's true that God wants a loving relationship with you, you know, not this man-centered religion of works. This whole religion of the Antichrist was based on, hey man, man and his works, man and his works. But God's salvation is based on a relationship, on love, man. It's all love. It's all love. That's one of my favorite things to say. Hey man, it's all love. Don't worry, bro. It's all love. Someone says, Hey, my bad, I didn't make it. I'm like, Hey, bro, it's all love. <laughs> because I, it makes me think about God's love. You know, and when I mess up, I'm like, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, because this is that. And I can just imagine and picture the Lord saying, Hey, don't, don't worry, angel. It's all love. <laughs> right? And the Lord saying, Hey, it's all love, angel. That's what it's all about. And I'll fall back on that, on this relationship of love. Right? And so again, for thus and righteous are the judgments. And because he judges the great harlot who corrupted, uh, who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged her blood, because he has avenged the blood of, of his servants, and that was shed by her. And again, they said, "Alleluia!" It said, "Her smoke rises up forever and ever. Her smoke rises up forever and ever." You know, now that 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 the smoke rises up forever and ever, you know, it it, it tells us that, that 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 this judgment is final. It's final. It's permanent. It's irreversible. It says that the judgment of her smoke rises up forever and ever. Right, we were at the beach yesterday. We had a bonfire. We had smoke going up from the pit. You know, but that smoke was going to come to an end when the fire stopped burning. When the wood stopped burning. Right? That's the indication that right, there's nothing else to burn. But God's saying that the judgment on this, on this harlot Babylon, on this false religious system, and, and on, really on the wicked, it says it's going to rise up forever and ever. Meaning that this judgment is final. It's true. It's permanent. It's Irreversible. You know, it, this language you know, that's being used of the, of the judgment of of, uh, of, of of the of the false religious system. You know, it's it's similar to, to that uh, used of God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah back in Genesis 19 to uh, 1928. You know, God says that again, this, this destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction of sin, was final, right? And we see that when God judges sin, when God judges unrighteousness, when God judges wickedness, it's always final. It's always final. So we see that the flames and smoke, you know, eventually die out, but the judgment is eternal on the souls of the sinners, you know, who, who rejected God, you know, and who killed the believers, you know, who, who killed the saints, right? The Bible tells us, Jesus actually said it. He says that hell is a place, he says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There in Mark 9, 48. And he goes on to say there in Mark 14, 10, it says that, that it's a place where the damned will be tormented with fire and brimstone. In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 
and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And God's judgment is final. <laughs> Even in reading this, you may think, man, that's God. That God was a loving God. He was a just God. He was a merciful God. Yeah, but because God is justice, then He can't neglect the wicked. Because God is love, He needs to judge. He needs to judge the wicked. Right? Even we're called to 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 love God and sin and hate sin. No, hate evil. And you think, man, the Bible tells us to hate. Yeah, it tells us to hate evil. You know, to hate sin. And so we see that that, that God's judgment on sin is going to be final. It's going to be uh, severe, actually. And so. Going on, well, again, there in chapter 4, says, again, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, is that they fell down and they worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Alleluia. And then there in 6, it says that the voice of the great multitude was heard, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And really, this is just this, this like limitless expression of just holy worship in heaven, right? And here we see all of the redeemed that have ever lived, every single person who's ever been saved, from the Old Testament, from the beginning of time up until this point, it's all the people who have ever been redeemed just crying out, Hallelujah. You know, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And so we see that the, that the praise seen in heaven throughout Revelation, uh, it, it just reaches this, this climax. You know, it's like a man, you get, you're watching a good movie, you get to the best part, right? And the, and the praise in heaven reaches now the best part. It's like it's climax, it's, it's ultimate. It's like, man, this, this praise in God, you know, everyone's crying out hallelujah and we see that the heavenly rejoicing it's not over it's not over the, 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 the damnation of those who rejected God the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked right many, many people look at God that way like, yeah, man, God just wants to strike everyone down and no not so the Bible says that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked right but the Bible says that God's desire is for none to perish John 3 16 for God so loved the world, including the wicked. And for, for the person who rejects God, man, God loves him just as much as, as the person who devotes their whole life to serve him. God loves a sinner. God loves the person who rejected him. God loves even the person who curses God to his face. God loves that person and his desire for that person to be saved. God is a God of love, man of mercy, who desires for no one to, to be lost. And so we see that as this praise goes on, you know, don't 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 let it don't don't let it come into your mind that this praise is going on. You know, because these people are being damned and cursed. No. But this, this place is going on because God's judgment is finally going to come upon the world, upon sin. Right? This thing that, that so plagues us. Think about all the things that happen in your life as a cause of sin. Me, personally, my brother dying, this, this, that, and this, all these things that, that, that come into our lives as a cause of sin. Right? My childhood stolen, my mind corrupted, this, this, that, and the other. Man, all these things that come as a result of sin. And finally, the sin is going to be judged. So, and so rightfully so, all heaven is crying out, hallelujah. Right? And so, we go now to, into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we see Christ and His bride. Here in verse 7. Number 7 says, it says, And let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9 says, Then he said to me, the angel, then he, the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true saints of God. And I felt, and, and I felt at his feet to worship him. Meaning, John fell at, at the feet of the angel who was speaking to him to worship him. But he said to me, uh, see that you don't do that. <laughs> he says, I'm your fellow servant and one of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. He says, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know what's that? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so as we get into now the marriage supper of the Lamb, we see Christ and His bride. Right? And we see that the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place in heaven while the tribulation is raging on earth. You know, such a... Great contrast. Tribulation on earth, but yet in heaven, man, this marriage supper of the Lamb. Right? God's judgment upon the wicked on, uh, and, and sin on earth, but in heaven, amen, those who have trusted Him for salvation, rejoicing with heaven. You know, having now this marriage supper, a marriage feast or a marriage dinner. I know supper is kind of like an like a old, old English word, right? No one really uses that. Hey, it's time for supper. No, like, hey, it's time for dinner. And so we, we see that the Bible talks about this marriage supper or this marriage dinner of the Lamb. 
right? And, and this, this, this marriage feast, this wedding feast between Christ and His bride, which is the church. The, the Bible calls the church, us, believers, the, the bride of Christ. And so we see that, that really, you know, as the Bible talks about this, this marriage supper, this marriage feast, this marriage dinner between the Lamb, Jesus, and His, and, and his church, the bride, uh, it, 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 there, there's really actually a, a historic a kind, of, kind of like a backdrop to all of this. You know, again, keep in mind that Jesus was a Jew. He was born to Jewish culture. The Bible was written uh, by Jews, you know, in a, in a Jewish context. And, and, and you know, it's sometimes some of the, the meanings and the symbolism get lost because we're here, you know, in Western civilization. And, and we have no idea, you know, what, what their culture was, what their customs was. But, but interesting that as the Bible talks about this marriage supper of the Lamb and really just this marriage between, you know, uh, between a husband and wife. We see that the marriage experience of believers and Christ, it actually parallels with four stages uh, to a wedding in an ancient Jewish culture. And so an ancient jo Jewish culture and custom, they had certain customs when it comes to, to a marriage. Uh, one would be the selection of the bride by the father. So back in the, back in old Jewish customs, you know, it wasn't like here Western civilization, hey man, that girl's cute, she's godly, this, I don't know, go, I don't know. Talk to her, we're going to become friends, I mean, then I'm going to propose to her and get married. No, in their custom, it was different. It was different in the sense that, uh, that the, 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 the bridegroom the, you know, the, or the boyfriend, or, he had no choice in who he was going to marry. But it was actually up to his father. His father would go talk to the father of the bride, and then they would make it a rage. Hey, man, you know, I think your, your daughter is good for my, for my son. And, you know, I think your son's good for my daughter, and let's make an arrangement, and it would be an arranged marriage. And so, in, in, a, in, a, in a traditional ancient Jewish culture, that would be the first step in a, in a, in a Jewish wedding. Is the, is the father going uh, to select the bride for the son. And, and this was fulfilled when God the Father chose the church, chose you and I. If you believed in Christ, chose you to be the son's bride. Amazing. Amazing that the, that the Lord would choose you right, to be the bride of Christ. And then that second step there in the, in the ancient Jewish culture, that, that wedding would be the, it was known as the, the betrothal period, the betrothal period of the bride and groom, uh, which betrothal, again, it's an old word, you know, but, but it's similar to what we know as this engagement period today. Right? Typically we know, hey man, a couple gets together, they're going out, and they say, you know what, I, I want to marry you, let's get engaged, and let's set a date. Now, all right, we're engaged today, and let's be engaged for a year and a half, and on this day we're going to get married. Right? Ancient Jewish customs was, was different. Um, for the ancient, for an ancient Jewish wedding, the betrothal period it would be kind of it would be unknown. Meaning, they would be engaged, and then being engaged would be uh, it would be looked at as if they were married already. So if they were engaged and one of the spouses cheats on the spouse, it would have been like as if they were you know committing adultery and they were cheating against their husband and their wife, even though they were only engaged. And, and, and interesting that is in, in this engagement period. The bride didn't know when the when the groom was gonna come and say, "All right, today's the day to get married." They didn't set a date. It wasn't even up to it, even it wasn't even up to the groom, but it was up to the father, right? The groom would go back and he would propose to his, to, to to his wife, right? She would, he would say, "All right, be ready because we're betrothed now, we're engaged." He would go back home. He would begin to build, you know, the the, the, the house for his wife, and he would be working on it. And he would go tell that, "Right, is this good?" That dad would say, "No, not yet. You're not ready yet." He'd be working on working on his home, working on getting the place prepared for for, for, for his wife to come, and, and he so not even the bridegroom would know the time. He would have to wait until the father would say, "All right, son, go get your bride." And so she had to be ready at all times. He had to be ready at all times, and so she had to be ready with the with her with her clothes and everything. So when that he came knocking on the door, he, she knew it's time. I gotta get ready. Have everything ready. Let's go. Let's get married. And so this the second stage in the in the Jewish wedding. Uh, again, this is fulfilled. You know, this is fulfilled when a, when a person trusts Christ as his or her Savior. You know, and those who know the Lord are, are in this betrothal phase now. You know, because the Bible tells us that now we have to be ready. Right? We're betrothed to the Lord. Meaning, hey, the Lord, he already, he, he already has put his, his, kind of his name on us. Meaning, alright man, they belong to me. In the meantime, we're here on earth. We're waiting for the Lord to come back or to rapture us up to him. Or for us to go meet him when we, when we die, right? And really be united with him. But in the meantime, we're to be ready at all times, right? Us as Calvary Chapel, we believe in a, in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And we believe that there's nothing that needs to happen uh, prophetically in order for the rapture of the church to happen. 
Not that, oh, this has to align and this has to be done. No, no, the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. And at any moment, we're going to hear a trumpet, a trumpet sound and, and God's going God's to call, call the Lord to come down and come back for his wife. Rapture of the church. And so we're to be ready at all times, just like that bride was to be ready at all times to receive her husband. Right? Now, that third stage is now the, the presentation you know, or, or the marriage of the bride and the groom. And so we see that. That, that in a traditional ancient Jewish wedding, the couple was, was, was officially joined as, a, as husband and, and wife when the bridegroom came to the bride's house and was presented to her by her father. And, and the coming of the bridegroom, you know, for his bride, the church, is pictured in Matthew 25. You know, for believers, our presentation will occur when, 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 when Christ comes for his bride, okay, at the rapture of the church, right? And he's going to take us up where? To the house of the Father, to present us before the Father. To present us, not just present us before the Father, but present us spotless, without blemish, and righteous. As a perfect bride. And that fourth stage would be finally the marriage supper or the marriage feast of the bride and groom. And it says, and so, and so the, the marriage celebration was actually, uh, it, it was a kind of a, a lengthy party. You know, it wouldn't just be a, from 9 to 5 or from, you know, at 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. It would actually last days, even weeks sometimes. You know, it, 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 it would be a lengthy celebration, you know, and it was, um, it was given by the bridegroom's family, and it was attended by everybody, right? by many guests. It wasn't that, hey, man, they didn't have a guest list of only 100 or 150 or 300 because it's expensive. No, in a traditional ancient Jewish wedding, like, they would invite everybody, right? And so we see that the marriage supper of the Lamb and his bride will occur on the earth during the millennial reign of Christ, which we're going to read about in a, in a couple of chapters. And really, uh, we see that, 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 uh, that Jesus frequently compared his millennial reign, reign to a wedding feast. There in Matthew 8 and 22 and even chapter 25 and Luke 14, we're told that many guests, including resurrected old saints, Old Testament saints and tribulation saints, are going to be invited to this wedding, wedding feast of the Lamb. Wedding, uh, yeah, the marriage supper of the Lamb. All right, imagine we're there in heaven with the Lord. You know, all of a sudden we're, we're having the, the, marriage, the marriage supper. Things are coming to an end. You look across the table. Is that Moses over there? Yeah, man, is that Abraham? Oh, man, is that Jacob trying to steal food off my plate? <laughs> uh, he's, 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 a, he's, not, he's not a sinner anymore. <laughs> is, that, man, is that Jacob trying to give me his lentils? Like, man, so, so we're told that, that, that they're in the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be united with all the saints, even those of, of old. And so, so like a bride to be waiting for a wedding day. You know, we are we who are believers today. You know, should be looking forward to the day when our bridegroom, the Lord, comes back for us. We should be faithful and prepared as we await His coming, as we wait for Him to come back. And what does that look like practically? We're like, all right, man, be ready. But what does that look like practically? Just like the Lord told His disciples that there in the Garden of Gethsemane before He was He was betrayed, He told me, "Watch and pray." I said, "Because the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak." And we're called to just watch and pray be watchers as we're waiting for the Lord. It's like, <laughs> I was talking to somebody recently, man, and, uh, who has been a believer for a long time and is, for whatever reason, just given into just uh, temptation, hardcore, and, and, and they openly, plainly said, and you know, just, they said it like this, they said, I've been walking for the, with the Lord for a long time, I've been serving for a long time, just, uh, I feel like I didn't experience everything I want to experience. Is I'm gonna go away. That's not, this, was the, this was his words. Is I'm gonna go away for a little bit, kind of enjoy life. Is I'm gonna come back. Is I'm gonna come back though, right? Is I'm gonna come back though. Is I just want to do certain things. You know, it's just, it's just I just want to get him out of the way before you know before the world ends or something like that. And, and, and I remember talking about, I'm like, dude, right now is not the time to backslide. Because <laughs> you've been walking faithfully with the Lord for so long, man. Is right now is not the time to backslide. Right? We're called to be vigilant, to be watchful, to be like watchmen at, at, at night, knowing that the Lord can come back at any time. And this isn't meant as like a scare tactic, but it's meant as, a, you know, as an encouragement. I know, hey man, you know, we're not going to be dealing with those temptations anymore pretty soon. You know, when, the, when we go to be with the Lord, we're not going to be facing those temptations of, hey man, I, got, I want to go to that, or look at them over there. It's like, man, all that's going to be done away with. We're going to be perfect. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more uh, lamenting, no more death, no more pain. All these things, right? And so as we're waiting for the Lord, man, and as we're waiting for this marriage of our land, we're to be ready, watchful, just uh, desiring to please God in everything that we do, but more than anything, in the condition of our heart. So that you could be do all, doing all the right things outwardly 
I'd be here teaching a Bible study Sundays, Wednesdays, Fridays, whatever, doing all the right things, crossing uh, all the all the check marks on the on the paper. But if my heart's not right, so that's what the Lord looks at, the condition of the heart. Right? And so we can believe this, right? The marriage supper of the Lamb now. We can believe this, we can trust in this. The marriage supper, the marriage feast, the marriage feast of the Lamb is as real as your dinner tonight. <laughs> We think, man, one day I'm going to have dinner with Jesus. Yeah, you're going to have dinner tonight. You could believe it as much as you believe that you're going to have dinner tonight with your family, right? Or at home. It's just that real. And then, I like how it says right there in, uh, in verse 9, it says, Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true and these are the true sayings of God. These are the true sayings of God. Right? These are the true sayings of God. I love that, you know, that, that as this angel speaking to John, he saying, hey man, this is true. You can believe this. You can trust in this. You can live by this. You can devote your life to this. You can devote your every single, every single ounce of your being to this. Why? Because these are the true sayings of God, right? And it's something that happens when we come to the Lord at the moment of conversion. It's like, all of a sudden, you know, it's like we begin to just believe the Lord. Man, the Bible says this, and you know, I believe it now. That so you begin to discover that, hey, everything that the Bible says is true. All his promises are true, Right? We, we sit there with, our, with the Bible in our hands as we read it. The Holy Spirit in our hearts just confirms God's word to us. All right? And it's like we begin to discover that, man, God's, God's word is true. I can trust God's word. All right? Paul the Apostle, I love the, the example of Paul the Apostle because he, he lived it, man. If anybody walked the walk and talked the talk, it was Paul the Apostle. He would say there in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he says, For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. I'll be honest, man, even I doubt something. I'm like, man, Lord, I know your, Bible, your word says this, but I just, I don't know, I'm having to show you with this. Paul the Apostle would say, hey, amen, all the promises of God in Him are yes and amen. That He was a promoter of God is true, God is faithful, God is just. Because all the saints of, all the saints of God are true, right? And look what it says there in Psalm 42. It says, He brought me out of a pit of despair, out of a mire clay, you know, and he set my feet on a rock, he says, and establish my steps. And that's what the Lord is desiring to do in us. He's desiring to establish us on his truth. He's desiring to, to make himself known to us. I love what A.W. Tozer said, if you're familiar with Tozer, one of my favorite authors. But he said, I don't know what book it was, but I read it, he says, he says, you can have all of God that you want. And he says, you can have as much of, as much of God as you want. And I thought about that, man, that's heavy. Because God is this infinite, uncreated, omnipresent, omnipotent being. He's God. And yet, He makes Himself available to us as much as we want to receive. He says, you can, know, you can have as much as God as you want. I trip out something, you know, I look at other believers who maybe haven't been walking with the Lord as long as I have. And I hear him talk, I hear him pray, I hear him, you know, even give little Bible studies or I'm just talking to him about the Bible and I'm like, man, they have like this, like this special connection with God, man. It's like they, they, it's like the Lord speaks to them directly or gives them special insight. And I wonder, man, how do they do it? And really it all depends on us. The Lord is, 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 is will give as much of himself to us as you're willing to ask for, as you're willing to receive, as you're willing to seek. And on that same point, you know, he's not going to, Make himself known to you more than you're willing to know. But I love about the Lord that you can know as much of God, you can have as much as God as you desire. Lord, I want a whole buffet of you. Lord, I want unlimited, unlimited, unlimited of you. Lord, I want just, I want to go to God's buffet and just have as much as, as much of Him as I can take in. Right. And so we see that that uh that really you know this that 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 uh. As God is saying, you know, as the angels telling John, he says, "Hey, these are the true and are the true sayings of God. We can believe it." And then we see John, you know, he makes a little mistake there. <laughs> man, I, 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 this gives me comfort because, man, here's John, the apostle, walked with Jesus for three and a half years, saw his miracles, saw his death, his resurrection. God spoke to him. You know, but now he's receiving this awesome vision there on, on the island of Patmos. Up until this point, he's seen all kinds of, you know, heavenly scenes. He's seen God's throne. He's seen all the angels surrounding God's throne. All the people that are worshiping and receiving this awesome vision. And yet, as he's receiving these words from an angel, it says that he falls down. He begins to worship the angel. And the angel has to say, hey, man, I don't 
don't do that. And he looks around, don't do that. Get up, get up. He says, don't worship me, man, because I'm just like you. Because I'm just a servant. Right? But man, John the Apostle being very experienced and, and you know, and, 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 and trained and been through it. Right? Very seasoned apostle. Even he made, even he made this mistake. And, and like it because, you know, John, like so many people, you know, he's, he's wanting to exalt the instrument. You know, here's John falling on his knees before an angel. You know, and we see that, that even John makes this mistake, you know, and, and under such special circumstances, heavenly circumstances, he's already seen God, he's seen, he's seen uh, Jesus, he's seen the Lamb, he's seen all these things, and he still makes the mistake of exalting the instrument. We have to be watchful in our, in our lives, right? That's a lesson for us, that God does not want anyone taking his glory, right? I would say this, beware of those who exalt themselves and take the glory of God. Beware of that, man. If you see anybody promoting themselves or the church or their ministry above promoting Christ, beware of that. My, my prayer and my desire is that this church will be known as a church that exalts the name of Christ above all. I don't care if everyone says, hey, that pastor, he has tattoos. You should go check it out. I don't want that. Uh, hey, man, that church over there, they're cool. Hey, man, that dude, I want people to know Calvary Chapel City Terrace as a church that exalts the name of Christ and Christ alone. And for us as believers, man, and as we're in ministry and as the Lord uses us you know beware yourself if God begins to use you you know beware that you give him all the glory right and it's such a temptation and, and us I mean we're, we're, we're I mean we're humans right and, and even us I mean I, I see I hear an awesome message and, and I'm inclined to go I'm like hey bro that was awesome I just thank you so much and right I give up devotion yesterday and someone came a couple people came like hey bro that was awesome I thanks for the message and, and, and you know, it, it, it's really easy to fall into this prideful heart and it just kind of creeps in and you don't even realize it. Where I was tempted to say, oh yeah, well, you know, man, it's just, uh, the Lord uses me, this and that. And, uh, I'm a church planter. It's like, no way, man. God wants to receive all the glory, man. You have to be careful within your heart because even if you don't say it, man, if you're, if you're thinking in your heart and thinking in your thoughts, hey, man, that's sin itself. Man, that's pride. And God sees that even if, if it never comes out, out of your mouth. Be careful when someone says, hey, man, that was an awesome Bible study. Hey man, hey, that was an awesome you know uh, worship set. Oh, you're an awesome worship leader. You're an awesome Bible teacher. You're an awesome servant. Oh, you're an awesome this, that, the other. Beware, man. Beware that that that, that pride doesn't creep into your heart. I believe it's the Book of Proverbs that 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 that, that says, hey, six things are sin to, are, are an abomination. Uh, uh, sin, six things God hates. Seven things are are an abomination to the Lord. And one of those is this: a haughty look and a proud heart. Haughtiness and pride are an abomination to the Lord. No matter how small you may think it is in your life, even if it's a little less than a millimeter size, little speck of pride in my heart, it's an abomination to the Lord. And we need to watch ourselves. Man, look here's John worshiping an angel, and even this angel says, hey, man, don't do that, don't do that. You know, worship God, worship God. Right? But again, us, we need to be watchful of that. We need to be mindful of that. Of that pride that creeps in, and this is one of the one of the sins that that, that most gets uh, overlooked in the church, right? because we're, it, it's it's because it, it could be so easily hidden. You could go on as a prideful person, and and no one will know it. You, you'll know it, you'll know it, and you get by serving in ministry as a prideful person, and it's like no one's gonna know, but God's gonna know. God's gonna see the heart, and it's like everything you do for the Lord in that in that in that in that, in that prideful with that prideful you know uh, 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 with that pridefulness in your heart, say, Amen. God's not going to honor that. You know, it's just, man, you're, you're, you're sowing into the wind and, and reaping the whirlwind. God doesn't honor that. He hates pride. It's an abomination to him. Be, be, be watchful of that. You know, be, be mindful of that. And so as he's worshiping this angel, he says, hey, man, get up, get up. He says, don't do that. Right? And then notice what he says. That the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's, you break it down, it's like it's such a heavy statement. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know, don't forget that it's all about Him. The whole Bible, prophecy, all this stuff, it's all about Him. More than end times, more than Antichrist, more than the beast, more than all these things. It's all about Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Meaning Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is about Jesus. Prophecy centers around the person of Jesus Christ. You know, and, and that's what prophecy is all about. It's all about Jesus Christ. You know, this is what history is all about. It's, cliche, it's a cliche thing, but it's, it's good. This is what history is all about. It's all about His story. It's all about Christ. Right? When we see it in the Bible, I see it all the time. From the very first page to the very last page, it's all about Jesus. 
And whenever you're you're in the Word and you're doing your devotion or reading, the the, the, the your your goal, your key in mind should be to find Christ within the text. And so it goes on to say again, the, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now we see now the second coming of Christ. We see the return of Christ in glory. And so going on now there in uh, uh, verse 11, it says, Again, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Talking about Christ. It says his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written which no one knew except himself and was clothed with a rope dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword uh, that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule will, will rule them with, an iron, with a rod of iron and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so as, as we get now into again this, the, the second coming of Christ and, and John sees the picture of John sees the John sees really uh, Christ coming back on this white horse with his robe dipped in blood. It's just this majestic scene. Like, man, it's something better than that scene in Lord of the Rings when they go into battle. <laughs> I love the Lord of the Rings. But that's an awesome scene that you get all hyped up. Like, man, it's going to go down right now. And it's like, man, more than this, like the most climactic battle scene ever. You see the Lord appear on a white horse, his robe dipped in blood. Uh, you, see, you see the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, right on his thigh. I imagine just carved in all hardcore King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Like, that's what I imagine. Man, the Lord coming back just with fury, right? With fierceness. He came the first time as the Lamb of God. But he comes back the second time in the fierceness and judgment of God. And it says, Oh, John sees him, it says, with his robe dipped in blood. And really, uh, uh, it is something that Isaiah speaks about in the Old Testament. There in Isaiah 63, 1 through 6, you know, as, as he's. As he's given this prophecy about the Lord really I'm just going to read verses 3 it says verse 2 it says why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress and he said I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury he says their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come and so really this is something prophetic that Isaiah talked about in the Old Testament. Now, when, when, when seeing Christ coming on the white horse with the sword and all that, you know, the question comes up, is that like a literal horse or is it symbolic? Well, he sees, now I saw heaven, heaven open and behold a white horse. And he says, and the army, then the armies of heaven were clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and they followed him on a white horse. And so uh, there's two different views on this, you know, I, I, and I think it's two parts. I think it's two parts. There's this uh, non-literal view of this, you know, it, that's that's uh, that says that the fact of Revelation 19. I mean, it, you read this whole chapter, right? And there's a lot of symbolism, and there's a lot of uh, uh, just uh, things that are to be taken literal. For example, it says that Jesus is pictured with a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, right? And it's not that Jesus is really going to come in with a sword in his mouth like this, but it's talking about the judgment of the spoken word. He comes in in fierceness and judgment through his word. Interesting that that uh, that back in ancient times, you know, uh, the horses, um, a white horse specifically, was, was was symbolic of victory, you know, just uh, just a, a, a victorious. You know, when it comes to to an army of just this 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 victory, this victorious state, right? And so we see now Jesus coming in this white horse, and, and really military, you know, uh, victories in ancient times, you know, they would come in riding on white horses as a symbol of their conquest. Right, and so we see that the white horse in Revelation 19, you know, could be understood as just this again, just this symbol of, of the overwhelming victory that Jesus will achieve. You know, but interesting that unlike ancient times, it's like they would ride a white horse after the victory. Jesus is riding a white horse in anticipation to his victory. Right, it's like he does it backwards. Why? Because God's gonna get the victory no matter what. Ancient times, they would ride it afterwards. Ooh, uh, the armies are defeated. They would ride around with the white, with the, on the white horses. Jesus comes in before the victory, before the battle even begins, riding on the white horse, right? stating the victorious uh, outcome of the battle before it even starts. I love that about the Lord. He's just like, man, bold in your face. And so it goes on to say, uh, 
now again, just, just talking about the, the rapture and the second coming, we know that again, that's, if you're not aware, it's two separate events, right? And the rapture of the church, Jesus is coming for his church, and the second coming, Jesus is coming with his church. And really, we see this uh, picture of the second coming of Christ, when it says that he's coming with all the armies of heaven, that's you and I. <laughs> the armies of heaven are us. You know, they're all believers. They're the believers. The second, the, the army of the Lord is, is the believers. And so, he's coming in with the white horse, robe dipped in blood, with the, with the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Right? And again, this is a picture of the, of the second coming. Interesting that, that, the, that the book of Jude, Jude quotes Enoch, which, uh, which Hebrews calls a prophet. And it says, Jude, and right there in Jude 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. That's us. He says, to execute judgment on, on all. So interesting that there's a prophecy that's given about the second coming of Christ, even to Enoch, man, the, sec the seventh generation from Adam. From way back then, the Lord prophesied about this, right? We see that even uh, Paul wrote about it to the, to the Colossians. There in Colossians 3, 4, he said, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, says, Then you shall appear also with him in glory. And so we're talking about the second Christ. And now we'll get into a, this kind of cleanup time on planet Earth. We see that we're going to see now this, this angel in the sun. Right? Uh, verse 17 says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven. He says, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God or for the dinner of the great God. He says, That you may eat the flesh of kings. The flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all the people, free and slave, both small and great. He says, and I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against the Lord, against him who sat on the horse, and against his army. That's us. He says, then the beast was captured, and with them the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. It says, and these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled, were filled with their flesh. <laughs> and so before the battle even begins, the Lord shows up on a white horse, stating his victory before the battle even begins against, against the beast, his false prophet, and all, of his, all those who follow him, against all those who want to make war against God. And it says that, before the battle even begins, the angel stands up in the middle of the sun. He cries out to all the birds of the earth. He says, hey guys, buffet time. You know, time to eat. And, and, and what are they going to eat? He says, you're going to eat the flesh of, of kings, the flesh of, of, of armies, the flesh of horses, those who ride on them. And so this is just, man, this is, this is exciting to me. This is like, man, like a, every man's you know, favorite battle verse right here. Man, this, this, this victorious battle, right? The, the, the angel calls all these birds and saying, all right, you guys are going to get ready to eat. Come hungry because you're going to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of, you know, of, all these, of, all these, of all these people. And so we see that as they gather, as they gather uh, we're told that, that, uh, that, that all these armies gathered with the, with, with the beast, with the, with, the, with the false prophet. And we, they're those people who follow Satan thinking that he's going to be able to fight against God. They all gather up to make war against the Lord, Right? And we see that the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. <laughs> Just like that, the battle's over. It didn't even start and it was already over. The Lord shows up victorious and he calls up all, he runs up all these birds to come eat. And as soon as they show up for battle, boom, just like that, by the word of his mouth, right? By that judgment of, the, of that fierce double-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. By spoken word, the battle's over. There actually is no battle. This is the battle of Armageddon. This is what, the, what you see on movies, on TV, and you know, in Hollywood, the battle of Armageddon, they always make it seem like this great bloody climactic scene and really it's over before it even starts the Lord just says the word and the battle is over and we're told that as, as the battle is over we're told that uh, that the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire and really if you think about it these are the first two people to inhabit hell the first two people would ever go to hell are the first two beings are, are two humans up until this point Satan has never been to hell it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an untruth. It's, it's a lie. You know that, that we think that uh, that Satan is like the king of hell and God is the king of heaven. No, God is king of heaven and of hell. Right? He rules over heaven and of hell. Right? Over both. And, and we see that Satan up until this point, he's never even been to hell. No one, no one is in hell yet. The first two people to be in hell are two men. 
the Antichrist and uh, the false prophet. And again, it, it says again, he was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence and they were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. It says, and the rest were killed with the sword. Right? It says, and all the birds were filled to their flesh. Right. Chapter 17, or six, uh, 17 and 18, the false religious system was done away with. Chapter 19, the beast and the false prophet were done away with. And then we're going to see in chapter 20 now, Satan is going to be done away with for a short time. And then eventually he's going to be thrown away again. Thrown into the lake of fire also for all eternity. God is judgment coming upon the earth. That should be good news to us. Right? As, we, as we live in a world with so much injustice, with so much uh, really just uh, anarchy. I think, man, is justice ever going to prevail? And we could believe the words of God. We could believe the words of our, of our Bible. Yeah, justice will prevail uh, here on earth and, and for all eternity eventually. So this should cause you uh, great joy in your heart. Amen? Went right there. I know it was a heavy study. Father, thank you so much Lord, for your word, Lord, and just for the, the freedom, Lord, the ability to just study your word, Lord, and go 